hit me. From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the hit, it's time for... Suckatash. Yes, Suckatash, the comedy soundcast soundcast featuring snippets from comedy... Soundcast. And also interviews with comedians, comedian soundcasters, and other showbiz folk. And now, here's your host, internationally recognized comedy soundcast soundcaster, Mark... Persia. Mark. Welcome to our first real Succotash episode of 2023. I'm Mark Hershaw, your host for this week's episode 338 entitled First of the Year Foursome. Here's wishing you and yours a fantastic new year. As your comedy soundcast soundcast, we'll be bringing you a whole bunch of clips this year wall to wall. Mostly from comedy soundcasts, our name for podcasts, but we also vary from that from time to time. All to give you a taste of the hundreds of thousands of shows that are out there in Soundcast land. We sample them for you with hopes you'll be curious enough to go check them out yourself. We also will have interviews with soundcasters and comedians and comedian soundcasters and other showbiz folk. When I say we, in case you're new to this program, it's all about me and my awesome co-host Tyson Saner. Though we're co-hosts, we prefer to divide and conquer, meaning we each host alternating weeks. So this is my week, next week Tyson will be here, and the reason I call this the first real episode of the year, the past two installments of the Soundcast were Succotash Second Helpings, with the most recent one, Epi 337, with your aforementioned loyal and faithful co-host Tyson, featuring a reheating of episode 173 with special guest Hunter Block. You can still catch that wherever you find, catch, or trap your soundcasts, including SoundCloud, Spotify, Podbay, iHeartRadio, YouTube, Amazon Music, Audible, Stitcher, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Feel free to start your hunt right at our home site, SuckatashShow.com, where the entire archive of almost 12 years of shows has been lovingly curated for you. So what do I have in store for you, snippet-wise, in this installment? I have delectable samples from Ed Helms' new soundcast, Snafu, the Retrospectors Today in History, the Worst Idea of All Time soundcast, and Unpopular Opinion. As if that's not enough, we also have a sparkling brand new advertisement from our longtime, non-paying, and completely fake sponsor, Henderson's Pants, featuring the new Bottoms Up Cargo Pants, with the design inspired by our very own Bill Haywatt. With nothing further to delay us, let's get into this week's clippage. Feel the power. Our first offering is a clip from Snafu, spelled S-N-A-F-U, which is, uh, well, it stands for uh, Situation Normal All Fucked Up. It's hosted by comedian, actor, and now soundcaster Ed Helms, who you hopefully know from his stints on The Daily Show, The Office, and The Hangover Movie Franchise, among many other appearances, of course. The show's description puts it best in that the show is about history's greatest screw-ups. The first season of Snafu, which recently concluded, delved into the story of something called Able Archer 83, a NATO military exercise that almost touched off a nuclear war back in November of 1983. Very similar story, if you ever saw, heard about, or remembered a feature film from that year called War Games. That starred Matthew Broderick as a kid who ends up tangling with a military battle simulator computer that, well, almost starts nuclear Armageddon, or 
or does it? Anyway, it's a great show uncovering stuff in history most of us probably don't know anything about. As part of his uncovering this story, Ed talked to both Broderick and the director, John Badham, and used clips of it during the season. And then when the season was mostly over, he dropped a bonus episode, which featured the chats in their entirety with those two war gamers. So here's a sample from his convo with Matthew Broderick. All right. So the so the movie production is starting now. It's you and Ali Sheedy and this incredible cast, Barry Corbin, Dabney Coleman, who I, I love. Yeah, me too. Uh, and and Barry Corbin. Yeah. And they're both just it, it's like. The cowboy and the nerd, mm -hmm. and they're just, they're such a perfect conflict. I wouldn't trust this overgrown pile of microchips any further than I could throw it. And I don't know if you want to trust the safety of our country to some uh, silicone diode. General, nobody is talking about entrusting the safety of the nation to a machine, for God's sake. And what's compelling about those two characters is that they, is that they really represent two kind of uh, competing points of view, very literally in the story, but I think also kind of culturally, which is, do we trust technology or do we trust gut? Right. And Dabney's, Dabney Coleman is saying, let's trust Whopper, the computer, to, to, to launch missiles. And Barry Corbin is, you know, chewing his red man, chewing tobacco and saying, uh, uh, no way, man. Guy can't take the human out of it. You got to trust humans. But they mess up at the beginning, right? That's in the uh, missile silo. Right. They, the humans mess up in the in the opening. Yeah. Which is a wild entry to the film. And it sets the stage for like mistrusting humans. Three. Put your hand on the key, two, sir. One. Launch. Sir, we are at launch. Turn your key. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Turn your key, sir. We've had men in these silos since before any of you were watching Howdy Doody. For myself, I sleep pretty well at night knowing those boys are down there. General, we all know they're fine men, but in a nuclear war, we can't afford to have our missiles lying dormant in those silos because those men refuse to turn the keys when the computers tell them to. Turn your keys. Yeah, turn your key. That yeah. whole thing. I was watching uh, the movie with my wife a couple of nights ago, and she <laughs> just goes, "Man, there were a lot of buttons in the eighties. <laughs> it's <laughs> the true. whole wall is buttons, yeah. and like everything. It's like okay, uh, ignite <laughs> or you know, uh, switch operation two. Yeah, <laughs> it's like thirty <laughs> no. buttons to do one thing. Yeah, there's some part of our inner child that just wants to click all those yeah. fucking buttons. Yeah. Now it's just these damn touch screens. <laughs> I have one quibble with the movie that I just have to okay. um, I have to mention, which is that Bring you're, it on. you're you're very disappointingly bad at Galaga. Now I mean the, you're okay, that, but like there's you know, not I understand. <laughs> I do I must in my defense tell you, you know, they edit it. <laughs> so like in yeah, real life, sure. I'm whatever. There wasn't enough film in the camera if I had played at my best. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> but I will say, like, to be able to work on a movie where the whole thing is like, you're gonna get to play Galaga for free for they as long as me, we're shooting this scene. They gave me a Galaga machine. I'm not kidding. Oh Marty Bress was like, you should get good at Galaga. We'll send one over. 
Oh, wow. So my little apartment in Santa Monica had a Galaga in it. Oh, that's amazing. Which I could, I was so excited by that. Yeah, that's, that's huge. So what are some of your memories about culture at that time? You know, uh, in particular, some of the political landscape afoot, yeah. Reagan as president. How, were you feeling any of the Cold War? <laughs> well, um, I think everybody felt it a little. I, what I remember, um, you know, Reagan saying he was going to put weapons in space and uh, people saying that was going to get everybody killed and... Uh, that really pissed off the Russians. Yes. So it, it was scary to read about all these, you know, every time we would add a missile system, they would add one or and vice versa. And it was, uh, you could read articles that would say there's absolutely no way this can end except for everybody being blown up pretty soon. Yeah. Mutual destruction. Yeah. Mad, right? I had a book with pictures in it called Mad, I think. Mutual assured destruction, and that and that book proved beyond the shadow of a doubt that we had about five years as a planet. <laughs> cool stuff. Go back and binge season one of Snafu and iHeartRadio series available everywhere, featuring Ed Helms. Up next is the Retrospectors. This day in history. This is a daily show, as evidenced by the title, but each episode only runs about 10 minutes. So it's either a great kickoff to your other soundcasts for the day, or a nice palate cleanser between shows. Hosted by Ali Mann, Rebecca Messina, and Arion McNichol, each episode is packed full of fascinating tidbits about something in particular that occurred that particular day in the past, as well as many of the trappings that surrounded it. Our clip comes from an episode that dropped last Friday called Rinkamania and rips the cover off the invention and introduction of the first roller skates. He'd been advised by his doctor to take up ice skating. And the idea was that he should get himself outside and into the fresh air and onto the ponds of Central Park. And he noticed, having sort of taken this advice, that he had an immediate improvement to his health. But during warm weather, once the ice began to melt, he had no ability to continue doing this thing that had now become his favorite pastime. And so he began to think about how he could make himself some kind of an ice skate thing that in the end he settled on wheels. Yeah, I suppose it would have been more complicated in 1863, wouldn't it, to generate ice where there isn't ice? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> than it would be to put some wheels Much cleaner on your idea. Feet. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is what he did. But the reason this was the first patent in the U.S. and the one that leads directly to roller skates as we know them now is Plimpton's design was the first skate that was capable of turning because mm. he had a four-wheeled skate which had springy carriages, trucks he called them, that allowed the skater to turn by leaning in the direction of travel. I know I'm describing something that seems commonplace to us now. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you basically couldn't fall over sideways because uh, the wheels were symmetrical. Yeah, and one thing that was unique about Plimpton's design was that it was a quad skate, i.e. the ones where the wheels are on the corners rather than in a single line, which is what's called an inline skate. But the first person we know of in history to create skates is a guy called John Joseph Merlin, who was a Belgian inventor and musical instrument maker. And the life and soul of the party, may I say. 
Before you describe how he embarrassed himself, <laughs> yes. I admire the intention. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you look him up, he, he has this very staid, bewigged Georgian portrait, which really does not communicate what a great japester he was. But apparently, he used his invention skills to make shoes with wheels on them. Crucially, no brakes, crucially, no ability to turn. He wore them to a lavish masquerade ball in 1760, where in front of a crowd of gaping onlookers, he wheeled in, playing one of his self-made violins given the lack of brakes or pivoting it went about as well as you'd expect we have an account from thomas busby's 1825 book concert hall and orchestra anecdotes where he says not having provided the means of retarding his velocity or commanding its direction he impelled himself against a mirror of more than 500 pounds value dashed it to atoms broke his instrument to pieces and wounded himself most severely and there had over the years as well been on probably like dozens of examples, but they're not all documented, theatre designers who had independently innovated to create a shoe that their cast could wear when doing an ice skating scene. Hmm. Because ice skating scenes had been portrayed in ballets and operas and plays. And that use on stage kind of hints at what the other problem was, aside from the relatively primitive tech that made them quite dangerous to use and you can see this also in the first patent ever issued for a roller skate that was issued in 1819 in france to a guy called charles louis Petitbled. and in his patent he describes the skates as being intended to perform in the apartments everything that skaters can do on the ice and that speaks to the other issue which was where were you going to use them so before paved and tarmac streets and public parks were commonplace it would have been really hard to find a flat smooth hard surface to use them on so partly that lack of obvious surfaces on which to skate does explain why once Plimpton was granted his patent, rather than trying to sell them, he announced these get-togethers featuring the sort of who's who of New York society. Yeah, in 1866, he created the first ever public roller rink in the US by leasing the dining room of the Atlantic House Hotel in Newport, Rhode Island. But he was a really clever promoter. He promoted skating as being a respectable pastime, Mm. you know, a healthy wholesome hobby for young men and women this was an era that was very preoccupied with people getting outdoors and doing wholesome things and not lurking around in corners possibly fornicating and it gave single young men and women a chance to mingle in a setting that by its very nature was obviously supervised so it was fun for the people participating Mm. but also families might feel more comfortable about their unmarried sons and daughters going there because you're literally skating on a rink surrounded by people yeah so As you can see, you can learn while being incredibly entertained in just 10 minutes a day when you grab a listen to The Retrospectors, The Day in History. Don't go away. We'll be back right after these messages. Hello, friends. Bill Haywatt here with an exciting new offering from Henderson's Pants. You know, they finally got wise after hearing some of our old installments of Boozing with Bill on the old Succotash soundcast, and they reached out to ask, nay, get down on their little knees and beg yours truly to help concoct a special pair of trousers. Introducing the Boozing with Bill Bottoms Up Cargo Pants. Yes, I am beyond excited to introduce you to these fantastic wonders. Just as traditional cargo pants are loaded with pockets, my bottoms-up model has much the same, but they are designed to hold a variety of fifths of your favorite aperitif, top-shelf liquor, or just plain old 
Well, you know, rot gut hooch. <laughs> Bottoms up, don't stop there. Oh, no, 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 no. Shin panels swing aside, where you can store everyone's favorite party mixers, tonic, soda, juices, Red Bull. The choices are infinite and up to you. What's more, the seat drops open to reveal a fully functional miniature ice machine. And where are the glasses, you might ask? Well, Henderson's patented hip holsters are loaded with shot, bucket, and high boy glassware. And finally, garnishes like olives, limes, lemon twists, and cherries tuck up nice and neat in the groin trays right up next to your... <laughs> right up next to your... <laughs> right up next to your swizzle stick. <laughs> Who writes this? <laughs> you know, your bootin' with Bill Bottoms Up cargo pants come fully loaded with everything y'all need to get your first trouser soiree started. And when it's time to restock... Henderson's Pants has worked out a lifetime discount at any Barry's Booze Barn located in the continental United States. Finally, anytime you wish, there can truly be a party in your pants. Originally designed for bartenders, goaltenders, and chicken tenders, Henderson's Pants Boozin' with Bill Bottoms Up Cargo Pants are available in every dive bar, gin joint, and speakeasy from coast to coast. That's Henderson's, pumping out pants and mixing libations since 1564. And now, back to Suckatash. If you haven't actually heard, I'm reasonably certain you've heard about the next soundcast we're featuring. Hailing from New Zealand, the worst idea of all time quick, quickly got notoriety when it popped up on the scene in 2014. That's because the two hosts, Guy Montgomery and Tim Batt, centered the whole freshman year of the show by watching and reviewing the Adam Sandler movie Grown Ups 2. Yep, watched it every week for a year. <laughs> and then did their show about it once a week, every week for an entire year. Then they went on to do the same thing with Sex in the City 2, Sex in the City, We Are Your Friends, and the Emanuel franchise of softcore porn films. Their latest challenge, the Fast and Furious franchise. The franchise, in reverse order. Well, they still mostly go it alone. Who else would want this crazy duty? They occasionally bring in people who are fascinated by their ordeal. Just last week, they dredged through the details of F9 as the ninth installment of the Fast and Furious franchise is lovingly known, with none other than comedian, actor, and soundcast host, performer, producer, and all-time most frequent guest on Soundcasts Everywhere, Paul F. Tompkins. In our clip, Paul F. starts to explain the plot of the film as if he had to pitch it to a crowd of people fleeing a burning theater. Paul, tell me about your, your watch experience. I watched it this morning in two installments. I love it. <laughs> um, I watched it from <clears throat> 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Then I had a brief telehealth appointment. Then I resumed my watch in the same room. I was in a room by myself, um, decent sized TV. Uh, it was available for free on HBO Max, so I didn't have to um, uh, rent or buy it. <clears throat> and I, I really tried not to touch my phone. I really, really tried. <laughs> Thank you um, for trying. But there was there was some phone touching and I would <laughs> I would put it down for periods and then I was like, well, let's see what that phone's up to. <laughs> um, but um but I did I did watch this movie. And mm. uh as I as I told Tim off mic, um this is the third 
no, I guess the fourth. I saw the first three Fast and Furious films, and have not followed the progression. The 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 you know just pure <laughs> yeah. insane progression that they're taking it's, to get to this point. It's actually quite a satisfying journey you've been on because you feel like you've probably got some of the necessary data, but then. I suppose those those five intervening movies quite Make a, a lot. difference. Yeah, yeah. quite a lot. <laughs> Last one I saw was Tokyo Drift, where the innovation was cars going sideways. <laughs> so there's there's quite a, quite a jump from that. They really, they're, doing they're quite far down the list um, oh, yeah. of, of car and car adjacent things that we can throw in a movie now. Yeah. So do you, what like what's to, if you had to describe this movie in a hurry, <laughs> Paul? There's a fire and it's about to engulf the entire theater. But very quickly, you must tell everyone about it's nine. Like what? What sticks out to you in terms of what is in this movie that you have to tell this crowd that's about to die? It's the last thing they'll hear. What? So they're about to, it's not like before yeah. they leave the theater. Know, yeah, uh, everyone's so, okay. going to get I, out. But you know, I need like more, that's I the, need more info on this scenario. Here's what I'm imagining. Yeah, it sounds like Tim's going to set these people free. But I like the one you've described. So I did it. say it in a way where it's like these are the final words they're going to hear. They need to know their kind of eulogy for their mm-hmm. final moments on this mortal plane is the synopsis of F9 or um, a slightly more merciful version is that none of these people have seen it you're the only one who's seen it and they have to when they leave the cinema the only way they're allowed to survive is once they run into the fire there's a person there and they have to be able to convincingly articulate <laughs> oh what happens in F9 and you are their only hope it's Justin Lim Justin <laughs> Justin Lim is that his name? Lin Lin Justin Lin is like St. Peter guarding the exit I guess it's in reverse but you, you get it so is the theater, was it supposed to show F9 <laughs> yeah. and then instead there's a fire? <laughs> yeah, you got it. Because, and did I, did I go there just were, to see the movie again? No, you were presenting it. am I there it. for this specific purpose? You were presenting the movie. So you were sort of emceeing the film. Which, <laughs> yeah. so How did this film was coming and you were doing your height stuff? <laughs> And like it's so much better with the projector. It's so much better in a like, theater. I jump up immediately. <laughs> you like, can oh, see oh, there's so many different heights here. There's no tables. legs. <laughs> you get a great fix on everyone. Everyone's in the exact same <laughs> kind of chair. It's perfect. It's so good for your. Oh, shit. this is my dream crowd. <laughs> <laughs> it's your dream theater. Okay, I would say. Um, <laughs> I don't even care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do want to try to yes, please. sum yeah. this movie up. The the Tornado family is back at it. <laughs> Toretto, but yeah. Toretto. <laughs> so these guys are going to die if it's not the fire. <laughs> the Tornado family is once again having to get fast and furious in order to save the world. Mm. I guess it's a given that the worst idea of all time soundcast is the mother of all spoiler alerts. If you haven't seen the films, these guys watch over and over and over and over. Check it out wherever comedy soundcasts are streamed and or downloaded. Comedian and writer Adam Todd Brown and co-host Jeff, that's all we have is Jeff, no last name, bring you unpopular opinion every week. It's often relevant news and pop culture related topics of which the guys often have contrary perspectives, obviously given the title. Back a few weeks ago in December, they dropped an episode entitled The Ballad of P-22. P-22 was the designation of a storied and infamous mountain lion roaming the Los Angeles environs for years who recently 
recently died. So they talk about P-22's history and recent demise, some news stories about the Los Angeles City Council, Dungeons and Dragons as therapy, oh, maybe I need that, and the saga of burnt toast, which was the name of a cat which, well, just may have killed an alligator. Listen up. Let's talk about a very good kitty. I'm always open to that. A very good kitty named Burnt Toast. That's a damn good name. Is it? Is that? Do you think somebody naming the cat had a stroke? That could be. Yeah. I mean, he's and also a black like, cat, but Burnt Toast, and then passed out. And they're like, "Wow, his last wish was to name this cat Burnt Toast." I walked outside to check the mail last night after I got home, and the air smelled of burnt toast. And that whole walk from my door to the mailbox back, I was like, "All right." If I still smell this when I get back inside, we got a problem. Yeah, you've got nine one <laughs> pressed on the phone. But no, just smelled like burnt toast outside. So burnt toast is a very good kitty, a rescue cat, lives in Wisconsin, in Waukesha County, near a lake. There are lots of lakes in the Midwest and in Wisconsin. And one day, kitty is frolicsing around outside, and as cats do, very proudly drags the carcass of something onto shore and in the direction of its owners like a fish Cats it was a fish that. yeah the owners assumed it was a fish a very big fish a walleye giant a good fish. old miss Con- a wisconsin walleye go go catch walleye down wisconsin here down here we're gonna make a walleye fricassee you want a wheel of cheese jeff you want a wheel of cheese of gumbo how about down we here. wheel some cheese down the lake and catch some walleye here D- down here, we have some crawdads from Madison, Wisconsin. Get you some bratwurst. So this cat drags something on shore, as cats do. I was cat-sitting once, and a cat brought me a bird and just, oh. like, flung it against the glass patio door. And I was like, oh. Thank, thank you, you for thinking I can't eat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you for thinking I can't take care of myself. That's very nice of you, kitty. But burnt toast, at first they thought, had dragged a fish ashore, but nope. Burnt Toast had very proudly dragged a whole goddamn alligator head. Oh, the gator. <laughs> One of them Wisconsin gators what we Burnt. make our boots out of. Classic Wisconsin Bayou gator. We gonna make some luggage out of him. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. There are no gators in Wisconsin. It's riding a fan boat across the Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> like, what would they do when it gets cold? Ah, oh, gators don't Then it like becomes cold. a sled, you idiot. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You just use it to ride yeah. down hills of snow. That would so be so your, fun. What, that thing would flip over so fast if you had one of those. <laughs> I bet the gator would love it. Getting to just uh, slide chair. down a fucking hill full of snow. <laughs> no, I, be, I bet they are really into it. Let's figure it out. Let's. Remember when they, during COVID, all the zoos would bring the zoo people. They would bring all the zoo animals to the other zoo animals to meet them. Oh, yeah. Just throw throw the gator in the penguin ha- habit. See what happens. Gator at the Dane County Zoo. Just sliding around, just eating penguins as it slides down. <laughs> yeah, they aren't 100% sure how this gator got in this lake. They assume someone bought it as a pet and dumped it there. Does Wisconsin have rules? Because you can't have a hedgehog in California, and that is infuriating. <laughs> I'm sure Wisconsin has some rules against owning gators but i don't know do they like what's the exotic pet because exotic pet laws are crazy yeah like there's some states where they're like do whatever the fuck you want 
Yeah, I don't believe this article mentioned it being illegal, did it? Who knows? Who knows? But Like, there are states that just permit everything, and I don't know. Wisconsin has no laws keeping you from owning exotic animals, it says in the article. What's crazy is the gator was dead, but they don't think it was dead when the owner dumped it. They're not sure, or maybe it was dead when the owner dumped it, but they're not sure how it died. What I am just going to have a good time at the fricassee. (laughs) What I am going to imagine happened is that burnt toast killed it. I think so. So if you're looking for the unpopular opinion soundcast, it happens to be the flagship show for the Unpops Comedy Network and is available everywhere. You find the choicest comedy soundcasts. That's it for the clips this week, but we're not quite done. With the holidays and running around and such, it's been a while since I was able to peel open the tweet sack. Hey, Tweety. Happy New Year, buddy. You have some handles for me from the folks who've tossed our at Succotash show handle into their socials in the past couple of weeks? Let's see who they are. T. Kylie 314. Zombie Bacterium. Jock Doc Podcast. Monica Hamburg. The Let's Chat Podcast. Ed Wallach. The D-Head Factor, Misfit Scully, Francis Lilly 404, Zoe Stingken, 929, Charlie Longhoffer, Married Crazy in Podcasting, The Salty Language Podcast, I Shake My Head with Lisa and Sam, Blazed, Dana Carvey, Baxter Forest Twilight, Etta Carranza, Sandy Giarusso, Blood and Black Rum Podcast, Chang Crumbly, Akbar Sek, Rebecca Allery, Emo Panda Cat, Nathan Page, Fascination Street, and David Spade. Okay, if you'd like in on that roll call, you know the drill. Drop our at Succotash Show handle into your socials, and if I see it, I'll say it. Definitely get yourself ready for our next week's show, Epi 339, because it's Tyson Saner's 100th show. I'm not sure what he's got in store, but man, am I glad we have him. Speaking honestly, if Tyson hadn't accepted the challenge to jump in here, first as a host to relieve me for a couple of years, and then to alternate weeks with me since the start of the COVID pandemic, you would not have a Succotash show to listen to today. So be sure to grab next week's show from this feed, and don't be shy about sending in some congratulations, either on our at Succotash show Twitter and Instagram accounts to Tyson, or directly to him here at T-Y-S-O-N, Tyson at SuccotashShow.com. All right, I'm donezo for now. See you week after next. And in the meantime, if you get pulled over by a police officer and you don't think you've done anything wrong, just wait till he strolls up to the car, roll the window down, and expect him to ask, have you heard anything good lately? At that point, won't you please pass him the succotash? You've been listening to Succotash, the comedy soundcast soundcast with your host, Mark Hershaw. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Rate us and review us at Apple and Google Podcasts. Find us on the web at SuccotashShow.com. On Spotify. On Stitcher. On iHeartRadio. On YouTube. On SoundCloud. And wherever fine soundcasts are streamed and 
and or downloaded. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Succotash Show. Like us on Facebook. Email us at marc at succotashshow.com. Or call into the Succotash Skype line at our toll call number 818-921-7212. You can also upload clips from your favorite comedy soundcasts directly to us using our direct upload link at hightail.com slash you slash Succotash. Succotash is produced and engineered by Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, the home of the hit. Our hosts are Mark Hershon and Tyson Saner. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Succotash is executive produced by Mark Hershon. Until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the Succotash goodbye. This has been a Succotash Patch production.